What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. Jeff, how's it going, man? Great, Daniel. How how have you been? I'm good. I'm glad to have you back on. The only issue is I have quite the cold, so you're going to have to do all the talking today. I've got got a raspy voice, fog nose. Is that okay? Uh, Well, I've never been accused of being short-winded or uh, or too short on anything, so I'll give it my best. Perfect. I think we'll do great. Well, I was thinking uh, we've had some questions come in, and I thought we could kind of do some quick snippet, uh, dig into some of these questions. The first one I thought we would talk about is student loans is kind of a timely topic, especially with all these changes. So a lot of people are just kind of asking, like, how do I get my ducks in a row in preparation for this? So, you know, that's a question for a lot of people because you're starting to think about applying or even just on the front end of maybe getting started with PSLF. Um, What are the things people should start doing as they kind of either start in the program or maybe they're progressing through and they're getting close to that uh, actual final application. What do you got, Jeff? So I think uh, it depends on where you're at in the process, but starting right at the beginning, if you're just getting started is to make sure that your loans are in repayment and your, your payments start accruing and they're on a plan that, that works for PSLF. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point because and it's not always as straightforward as you might think. So, for example, I talked with someone a couple months ago, and they were in forbearance, but not COVID forbearance. Yeah. So, COVID forbearance counts for PSLF purposes. So, each little $0 payment you make, which is kind of funny to say, but for every $0 payment you make in COVID forbearance, that's a checkbox for the 120 checkboxes versus... uh straight up forbearance, all the other forbearance types don't count. So this person was not getting qualified payment. Also like the loan type, uh, like the type of a uh, repayment plan that you're in is important too. I've, I've come across people that are in graduated or extended graduated for it's a repayment plan type. Those payments don't count. They were making payments, but they don't count. So what are the payment plans that count? Um, so yeah, for the payment plans that count, you got to make sure you're on one of the the four different income-driven repayment plans. Mm, the most popular ones. Yeah, the, the most popular ones, probably there's two of them that would be the most popular. There'd be pay and repay. Pay is pay as you earn. So these are fun acronyms, right? Let's give some alphabet soup, make this sound like Greek, but pay as you earn and revised pay as you earn. So Right. And then you got IBRs, less, less popular. IBR is less popular for the old folks like me. We, we, you know, it was more common. But. You've got some older loans out there. It might be your only option. Uh, one of the one of the only options. Well, not one of the only ones, but um, one of the best options. A few of them might be off the table at that point. And then there's a really old one, the income contingent repayment, right? Oh yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody. Yeah, that is not really a great one, but probably the first uh, the first income driven repayment plan that was out there. I think that started in the '90s and. Uh, is pretty useless, but right. But anyway, yeah. The, the, if we want to make sure that we're on a payment plan that counts towards PSLF, and uh, so yeah, getting started with probably pay as you earn or revised pay as you earn would be at least a starting point. Especially now, if you're if you're a recent graduate or recently moving into repayment. Yep. What else? What other steps? Let's talk about early in the game, especially. 
yeah, early in the game. So we want to make sure, like we said, we want to make sure that those payments start accruing towards PSLF early on. And when you first get out of school, what what's the default option for these loans? Just to go into grace period. They have, they have what is it, a six month grace period? Yeah. When you finish school from, from you know, loan types. Yeah. So for most loan types, you know, there's a six month grace period where nothing really happens, right? There's mm-hmm. no payments going on. Which sounds kind of good because you're like, oh, yeah, I can wait to start making payments, get started making income to kind of get caught up on life. Exactly. But the the fun part about income based or income driven repayments is that they're based on old income, right? And in fact, we for income, you know, it looks back at the most recent tax return that you filed in general. I know we're in kind of a funny time where it could look back two or three tax returns at this point. Uh, but in general, we're looking at what happened in the previous year. And so if you just came out of med school, it's very possible you had no income. And if you had no income, what would an income-based repayment be? Well, I think it might be zero. Zero. Because if counts. it's based on yeah. And so if it's calculated as zero and you're making those payments, I got quotation marks up with my fingers, mm-hmm. you know, that starts accruing those 120, uh, you know, ticket stubs, golden tickets sometimes we like to talk about of getting towards those payments. And anything that is less than what you would normally pay is giving you value on, on student loan forgiveness. It's just adding up yeah. as you move forward. So. Golden tickets. That's uh, we're reading uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with my son right now, and it reminds me of the golden tickets there. But these are these are uh, kind of like you know golden ticket there. It, these are extremely valuable. But with the PSLF payments, they're like especially valuable the less you're paying. So those golden tickets in early in training, the zero dollar payments, or in COVID forbearance, uh, those are particularly valuable for mm-hmm. purposes of PSLF. Yeah, absolutely. So the the more you can make low cost payments, the better you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting those payments going earlier, there are some strategies to skip grace period. The simplest, most straightforward one is just to consolidate your loans because you can opt to, because technically you can't skip grace on certain types of loans, but by consolidating, they give you this option to, you know, you're technically starting a new loan and you can opt to forfeit or skip grace period. And that's kind of the workaround there typically early in on in training. But other, what other types of strategies get your ducks in a row early on? So that's number one is just to make sure that you're accumulating payments that would qualify. I guess the next piece is to make sure that you're working at an employer that qualifies, right? Um, there's you know a couple of components to that. You've got to have the payments in the right payment plan. And that has to coincide with being employed full time at a nonprofit or or government agency, right? Mm-hmm. And the ones that are like, if you're at a five hundred one c three, that's a type of nonprofit. Like a lot of hospitals are five hundred one c three, especially like residency fellowship programs. They're a lot of times at five hundred one c hospitals. So if you have that set up, that's usually that's the most straightforward, and you know will be qualified. But uh, sometimes it's like tricky with the nonprofit, non 501c3 places. So there are a fair amount of hospitals that are that as well. They're not 501c3s, but they are nonprofit. How confusing. That's like a word confusing how that's worded. So if you're at a non 501c3 nonprofit, 
it's especially important to make sure that that particular organization qualifies because it's not as straightforward. You have to, there's a little bit more, um, you know, you have to, there's some like small print essentially. And how do you get started on that? How do you get started finding out if you're, you're at a nonprofit or can you confirm that along the way? Yeah. I mean, you know, the best possible thing to do would be to proactively um, consider your job choices and look at what their business structure is ahead of time. So if you're, for example, if you're looking at residency programs, I'm sure that's a question you can ask in like the interview process you might look like a geek doing it, but like, you know, it's, it's for the better. Uh, most residency and fellowship programs are 501c3, but there are a few that are not. So it wouldn't hurt to ask, are you a 501c3 hospital? You know, is the company that will employ me 501c3? And if you can get a definitive answer. And then same thing going into practice, that's probably even more important is, you know, verifying that information. Sometimes it's not as easy as you might think it should be, but um, you can typically, if you find the right person, you can get that verified um, ahead of time. And then once you're actually employed there, the true test comes when you go to get your payments verified, you know, through your loan servicer. As of this recording, it's Fed Loans. You send send their, uh, you send in a loan verification or employer verification is what they call it, or some people call it ECF. Um, it's just a form, or you can submit it online sometimes. But you submit the form, and your employer signs off on that, and then the loan servicer. Uh, uses it to count your payments and then they verify it uh, based on whether or not they consider the payments qualified and the employer qualified. Yeah. And so how often do you like to see people doing that employer certification? You know, um, in general, probably every year is a rule of thumb. Um, but I think right now, so Fed Loans is out, piecing out of the business. We didn't mention that yet. I thought we would have to circle back to that. Just to complicate matters further, Fed Loans, which is like the PSLF loan servicer, they're like out of the business. They're like, we're done with this. Uh, this is a train wreck and peace out. I don't know. They didn't say that publicly. Uh, they are. They have decided to no longer service uh, student uh, PSLF program and students. So uh, they they will be switching over over the course of the next year. So that's important because going back to your question, how often? I think what I would do is try to get as many payments verified with Fed loans before the switchover happens is possible. Ideally, I mean, in a perfect world, you get 100% of every payment certified and like checked off and, ver you know, through employment certification the day before Fed loans, you know, switches you to another servicer. Because that's like, once you get it employer certified, it's like the golden ticket. You know, that's about as good as you can get. Um, and then it's an easy handoff. It's going to be difficult for them to, you know, have a data transfer issue, they verified payment um, because those loan servicer switch offs typically or historically are kind of a mess. So if you can um, clean up your file, get all of it verified right before that happens, that's the optimal time. So that would be kind of going outside that normal 12 month routine of verifying payments is ideally, you know, maybe you think about verifying right before that happens. And then the other time I would think about verifying is like if your 12 month cycle um, a lot of our uh, clients in the planning firm do it around the time of the income verification process because that's just another annual thing you got to think about. And so the only 
So if Fed loans, the servicer is changing, that's a good time to do it. And then the other time I would do it outside that 12 month cycle would be, you know, right before you're going to apply for PSLF. I think it's a good idea just to do it like at that, you know, 119th payment or something or 120th payment just to be like, just to verify. I don't know. I would, I, that's how I would be. I would want to just kind of double check and do it a little more frequently right before that happens. There's another thing, though, that they check in that employer certification we haven't mentioned that's important about getting your ducks in a row is because they're looking at verified payments, like the type of payment. They're looking at verified employment, which we've talked about those two. But what's the other big thing they're looking at? The other thing that uh, we see them looking at was loan type. Was there? Yeah, the loan type. Yeah. Yeah. So we we were actually talking about this earlier today. I was testing Jeff to see if yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he knows. But uh, loan type is, uh, we don't see it as often now because there's, you know, it's less common that you have non-qualified loan type. But um, any non-direct loans that you have, they don't qualify for PSLF. So if you're trying to get your ducks in a row on the front end, you need to make sure all of your loans are direct. And if they're not, what what, what can we do to to potentially work around that one. Yeah. So if they're not direct loans, um, you know, maybe they are a Perkins loan or a FFEL loan. Those are two pretty common ones. They can actually be consolidated into their own direct consolidation loan. You know, as you kind of go through that process, maybe decide, you know, how, how far ahead am I on all these other payments? You know, are these loans going to be hanging out for a long time afterwards or, does it make sense to, does it, does it help me out financially to get these into a consolidation loan and on track for PSLF as well? Um, but yeah, you can get them into a, a consolidation loan through studentaid.gov, get the process started there. But what you want to be careful of when you do that is not consolidating all those. If you have a combination of some are Perkins, some are FFEL, some of them are direct loans that have been in repayment for five, 10 years. Well, they've been in repayment for 10 years. Yeah, Congratulations. Nice. Hopefully, you know, a direct loan, you don't want to consolidate that because that is a problem with PSLF that those 120 golden tickets, if that direct loan gets consolidated in there as well, restarts the clock, restarts the clock. It's like burning your golden tickets. It's um, no good. And that was happening a lot more. I see it every once in a while, but it was happening a lot when early on in the program, when people didn't understand it, there was actually some, uh, advice student loan advisors that would always do that on the front end no matter what i think there still are that like kind of offer consolidation services but that's you don't have to consolidate all your loans and you definitely don't want to consolidate loans with the the golden tickets already or they've already gotten qualified payments because you know you're essentially throwing those out the window that's a biggie what about as you get further along and you've kind of you know you're getting towards the middle or end of you've got some payments you got the kind of the routine what are some things to be thinking about as you get further down the road in regards to those ducks in a row? I think hopefully things start to feel a little bit more on autopilot as you go, where you've got your cadence of of when my income's being recertified, uh, how I need need to handle that. But actually, depending on on the timing of income certification, it you know you can start to play around with you know do I get that certification in a little bit earlier and file on an earlier tax return or is it later? So timing. That's where you start to go with the timing of how do I optimize this? Yep. Yeah, there's lots of strategy. 
that's probably a whole nother podcast. Yeah, strategy to, to optimize PSL. Really optimize it, but just to be on track, just I think make sure that as you go through any job changes, let's say you know, you've been on track through residency and now you go to your next job, make sure employment is certified at that previous job for the full employment period. And then, you know, kick things off the same way, you know, each year making sure that you're still on track, that any discrepancies that start to show up, we're starting the review process. So you got to go to that student loan servicer and I guess figure out your evidence, um, find out, you know, they might have discrepancies on payments that are out there. Um, yeah. You got to show that you made that payment, right? Have your, your evidence lined up. Uh, where do you get that evidence at though? Yeah. So I guess I've not ever had to personally working with clients. I've never gotten to the point where we have to provide evidence, but um, I could see that happening in my experience. We have, so what we're talking about is let's say you've gone through your um, 70 payments in you, you verified employment, but um, after a second review, you realize that you got like seven payments missing for whatever reason. That's pretty common. I've, I've seen that a lot. And there's a bunch of different reasons that can happen. But um, when you see that discrepancy in their numbers versus your numbers, um, that's when you want to start reaching out to the loan servicer and asking some questions like, first of all, like, why are there why are these payments not qualified? And so it might be something simple like, uh, well, you didn't verify employment for that period of time. That's an easy fix. You just verify employment for that. Or they might say um, you were not in a qualified position at that time. And if and if that's true, then like, for instance, maybe you were working part time for some time off in between training and practice or whatever. So those you can't really argue with. But in a lot of cases we see um, it's just like um, uh, they don't really have a good answer. And so or you're getting mixed, uh, mixed opinions. Um, but if or maybe, you know, for sure they should be qualified. So in those cases, what you want to do is ask them to do like an internal review or an audit or I'm not sure what they formally call it, but like you can ask them to review uh, or audit the numbers. And those typically take forever to complete in my experience. But every time we've done them, once they finally get back, they have the correct. So that's um, and there's a lot of follow up. Typically, you kind of kind of I think that's probably helps to speed along as you can kind of call the servicer again and be like, what's up with the audit that I did a year ago that I haven't heard back on. That's what we were talking about that Jeff and I earlier today about circling back on one of because they seem to be very slow with them. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's going to get any faster with fed loans piecing out. Hopefully it does. I am trying to be optimistic about it and I'm hopeful that the uh, government finds like an on the ball uh, company that knows what they're up against and that fed loans has kind of gotten it, organized enough to hand off, but uh, time will tell. And I would, from a planning standpoint, I would assume it's going to be a mess just to kind of plan for the worst and keep your records, keep good. It's another reason to keep good records because just assume that they're going to lose everything. <laughs> and if you have proof that you have all these golden tickets in the form of like a employment certification letter, that's, you can't really just, you got any other tips for ducks, keeping your ducks in a row with student? Well, just with, uh, yeah, I agree. Hopefully that the next servicer for federal that replaces fed loans is better. But <laughs> as that transition is coming up, 
I think kind of your 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 point there about just keeping your own records is probably a, a really good idea to go ahead and as that servicer changes over, as Fed Loans is set to leave the arena here in December, to just go in there, back up, you know, make a whole folder on your desktop, just pile everything that's in there in that folder so that you have at least one set of records from what was there. And you know, if you're one of if you're one of our planning clients, you know share file of that with us. We'll keep a whole mess of it. We love to sort through messes. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> we, <laughs> it happens with student loans and lots of other things too, but probably that'd be the best thing to get. Just get ready for that transition. Yeah, awesome. Good stuff, Jeff. I uh, appreciate it as always. It's been a pleasure, Daniel. Talk to you soon. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.